friends, Isaac here. It's Tuesday, May 3rd. Welcome to the Living the Dream Show with Kevin White. Kevin is a best-selling author, international speaker and global brand publisher. He's founder, executive director of Global Hope India and CEO of Spirit Media. Spirit Media. As a serial entrepreneur, Kevin has helped start hundreds of churches, businesses and non-profits throughout the world. Before starting today's episode, Kevin asked me to make sure you've heard about The Writers Club with Kevin White. Kevin just finished writing his third book in three years. He can help you write your first or next book. The Writers Club with Kevin White is a weekly small group via Zoom with writers for accountability and structure through coaching and collaboration. Learn more at spiritmedia.us. That's spiritmedia.us. Put your hands together and let's welcome my friend and yours, Kevin White, to today's show. Good morning, everyone. I am Pastor Kevin White, and I am so excited for today's episode. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm actually waving at you right now. I'd love to give you a fist pump. That is not an angry, violent slap on the face, but a fist pump, a high five, actually a hug. I am so thankful to have you in the audience. If you're watching on YouTube, you can actually see me right now. And we have a message from a young man named Aaron Nelson that's going to be teaching from God's Word today as we continue to dive into the three characteristics of love. A powerful message. You heard part one last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But we're going to finish this message with part two today, and I want you to sit on the edge of your seat as you hear the Word of God through this young man, Aaron Nelson. Aaron, take it away. The second that I want to hit on for a little bit here is the idea of it's, it's, it's love in proximity. It's a love that's close. It's a love that's not from a distance. And if I'm honest, I don't, think, uh, I don't think Peter actually writes about this a ton in the letter of 1 Peter, but we do see it in Peter's life uh, a lot. Like if you're interested in Peter, if this whole study around 1 Peter has like really gotten your attention, go ahead and read Acts, read throughout the Gospels. Like there's a lot of really, really good stuff in there. Um, and through that, you'll actually see Peter's journey uh, from a bit of a jerk into this guy who would eventually go on to write this letter that we're talking about here today. Uh, I don't think Peter was... I don't think he was an expert in, in what it means to be counterculture because that was just his natural bend. I think he became that way after spending time with Jesus and seeing him from, the, from a front row vantage point. I know that for a fact because there's stories all the time where Peter and the other disciples are, are around Jesus. Uh, John chapter four is a great example. Uh, it's Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. And what happens in this story is uh, the disciples, they go off to go and get something to eat. And when they come back, Jesus is talking to, to a Samaritan woman, uh, which means that by cultural, um, religious and societal standards, there is no reason why Jesus should have been talking to her. And that's just the type of guy Jesus was. Like if you leave him alone for too long and you come back, he's washing the feet of a crackhead. And you're like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, like that was just, that was the type of guy that he was. And so what happens is the disciples show up and, uh, and John actually writes, they all saw him talking to this woman and they, they thought in their minds, he shouldn't be talking to her. But it actually documents that none of them had the nerve to tell him he shouldn't be talking to her. Because <laughs> I think they know, oh, we're going to learn a lesson from Jesus if we involve ourselves here. But Peter actually ends up learning this lesson just by observing Jesus. And, and later on, 
Acts chapter 10, uh, Jesus has died and resurrected and ascended to heaven by this point. Acts chapter 10 comes into play and uh, we get this really wild story about the the life of Peter. Um, uh, There's a guy, so you have to understand something about their culture at the time, okay? So you have Jews, which Peter was a Jew, uh, and then you have the Gentiles and the Gentiles were everybody else. Uh, And so there was a, a Gentile, he was a Roman official named Cornelius. And the Bible makes it a point to tell us that Cornelius, uh, he, he, um, him and his family, they're Christians. They believe in God. And one day Cornelius is praying to God uh, and God tells him, hey, send two of your officers over to get Peter and bring him back over here for dinner tomorrow. Okay, so kind of hold on to that, put that in your back pocket. Uh, On the other side of things, uh, Peter is hungry. This is where the story gets weird. He's hungry and he falls asleep and he's so hungry, he's thinking about the food in his sleep. And so he had, maybe that's not as weird as I thought. We've all have been there, right? Um, but this, he, he gets this dream of a sheet coming down from heaven. And in it are all of these animals that, that Jewish culture would say, it's unclean to eat these things. These things are impure. And so God says, Peter, eat this stuff. And Peter goes, God, are you kidding me? I'm a good Jew. I would never eat that unclean stuff. And God calls him out and God says, don't you dare call unclean what I've made clean. You're confused because so was Peter. (laughs) What are we talking about? It actually says that Peter had this vision three different times and he had no idea what it meant until Cornelius' officer showed up and brought Peter back to the house. And so the next day they end up at Cornelius's, Cornelius's house. That's not right. Uh, in Acts chapter 10, verses 24 through 28, this is what it says. It says, they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went up, I'm sorry, went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter the home of a Gentile uh, or to associate with them. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. If I can translate that a little bit for you, what Peter's saying is, is hey, y'all, as a good Jew, I'm not supposed to be here right now. But God told me not to think that way anymore. And I wonder if in our society, we could, we could contextualize that a bit for ourselves and say, you know what, as a good American, there's just some things I'm not supposed to do. There's some people I'm not supposed to associate with. Oh, well, those people over there, they... And I think Jesus is calling us into a Peter sort of experience where he says, listen, you need to oppose that with everything in you. There is no room for that sort of division or for those lines to be drawn in the kingdom. I remember um, this was uh, 2020. You guys were there. 2020. It was horrible. Dumpster fire. Um, I remember... uh, I, I was like terrified to log into social media because we were divided on everything, everything. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't like the posts from different news outlets. Uh, it wasn't stuff that had been shared from people I had never heard of before. The things that were the most hurtful for me were the blanket statements made by people I had attended church services with. There were statements being made online uh, by, by good, well-intentioned Christian people 
towards other good, well-intentioned Christian people that just villainized one another. Like it was discussed, it was like, it was this party versus that party. It was protesters against the non-protesters. It was this group versus that group. And I'm just like, man, why do you identify so much with those things instead of the unity that we have in Christ? And it made it disturbing. It was so hard to be able to log on to social media because, because everybody kind of adapted this, um, this digital courage. <laughs> it's what happens when you don't have to look somebody in the eye. You can type something out on your phone or you can put it on a screen. You can say something about someone who's not in the room and, and, and there's no consequences and that's the problem. That's why I think true love can't exist outside of proximity. Distance dehumanizes people. As long as there are those people over there or those people that I saw on the news or them from that group, you'll always find a reason not to like them. But man, you try sitting across a dining room table from somebody and tell me how long you can really hate them. You take some time to talk to someone and look them in their eyes and recognize, oh man, you, you, you bleed red just like I do. Like you, you are also just a child of God who's trying to figure out life the best that you can. Man, when you get close to people, when you invite people into your house, you want to know how you, this, I'm going to give you a practical tool on how to figure out if, you, if you're capable of loving somebody. You ready? Invite them into your house and don't let them take their shoes off before they get on the carpet. And just see what your heart does. Just see how your heart turns towards this person, right? And you say, you know what? I'm going to love you anyway. You take this seat. You take my seat. You take my chair. And I'm going to love you anyway. There's something that happens when we allow ourselves to get in close proximity of people. There's something when we take on the heart posture that, that Peter has where he says, stand up. I'm human just like you are. There's a verse in... First uh, Peter chapter three, I want to read this to you. Uh, uh, he says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, meaning you should sympathize with each other. You should love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Let me ask you a question. When you look back on 2020, would you say, let's not, let's not talk about people outside of the church. Let's just talk about the church for a second. Would you say that we were of one mind? Would you say that we sympathized with one another? Did we love like a family? Were we tenderhearted? How about, let's, let's check this one out. Did we all maintain humble attitudes or did we embrace a level of self-righteousness? I'm guilty of it as well. And that's the reason why when I read this, it breaks my heart to realize, man, there are so many times where my brothers and sisters, I've dropped the ball at loving them the way Jesus loved me. Jesus loved me in proximity. Eugene Peterson puts it this way in the message. He says that Jesus put on flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood. And then he loved us in what I would say is the third counterculture way that we're called to love, and that's sacrificially. Countercultural love, it cost us something. The world that we live in, uh, it would use phrases like, oh, well, we fall in love, but that is so opposite of what we're called to. Uh, our love is called to be intentional and it's called to be costly. F about five or six times throughout the letter of, of 1 Peter, Peter uses these words that says, even if, 
which means this is how we are to love those who are unlovable and forgive those who are unforgivable. It's sacrificial and it costs us something. And usually what happens in our minds is we try to play judge and we start to say, yeah, but look at what this person did. I'm going to decide whether or not this person is worthy of love. Can I lovingly and respectfully tell you it is not your job to make that decision. God made that decision and we celebrate it next weekend. It's called Easter. It's when he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us, for all of us. So when we try to determine, man, is this person worthy of love? Listen, John 3, 16 says God already dropped the gavel. The decision's over. (laughs) They are worthy of love and it is our job to show that love to them, even if it costs something. Jesus, he doubled down on this idea in Matthew chapter five, verses 46 to 47. He says, listen, if you love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. Translation, there's nothing counterculture about a love that's convenient. That's the way the entire world operates. Jesus commands us to love even when it's not easy. Well, Aaron, I'm not Jesus. I can't be perfect. Funny you said that. Uh, Verse 48, (laughs) Jesus says, but you are to be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect. And this is probably one of the most intimidating and like for me personally, misunderstood verses in the entire Bible, because I'm like, how am I supposed to be perfect the way that God's perfect? Listen, I don't know, but for some reason, and this is for you to explore in your small groups together and and call me if you find the answer. For some reason, Jesus tells us, uh, when he tells us how to love, he feels like it's necessary to, to patch that together and pair that with the idea of perfection. It's almost as if he's saying, if there's one thing you get right, it has to be the way that you love one another. Now I mentioned, um, this, is, this is an expectation that, that we have on us as the community of faith on, on how to love one another. And it is, it is surprising to me um, that, that Jesus doesn't talk more or that, that the entire Bible as a whole doesn't talk more about why we're to focus on those in this community uh, before or more than we focus on those outside of this community. So me and the team, we've been wrestling with this. We've been thinking about it, praying about it. Uh, and I think there's two reasons. And the first is really practical. One is a lot of these like letters, uh, they're, they're written to churches, right? They're written uh, to Christ followers. So it makes sense that, that it would say, hey, this is how y'all are supposed to treat y'all, okay? Um, but then uh, I wonder, like, why did Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples in John 14, why didn't he say, uh, the way you love everyone out in the world will be the proof that you're my disciple? Doesn't that seem weird? Doesn't it seem weird that he specifies the way you love one another? So I thought about that and I said, well, well what would the reason be? And, and this is it. Um, uh, I like to think of the church as a, as a reverse football team. You all look very confused. Okay. Um, I think of the church as a reverse football team. Here's what a, what a football team does, right? All week long, they get together at their practice facility 
And uh, they say, hey, these are the plays that we're going to run this week. Here's the playbook. Here's how we're going to execute everything. And so they start, they start trying everything out. So they get a play and they work it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And they get to Sunday, play doesn't work. All right, back to the drawing board. And they get back to practice and they go, okay, we're going to do this over and over and over and over and over again with the intention of executing that plan come Sunday. Now imagine if Sunday comes around, coach is out on the field, he's looking for all the players. He goes back in the locker room and they're going nuts. Like they're like champagne bottles are going off everywhere and they're just celebrating, hooping and hollering. He's like, hey, what are y'all celebrating about? And they're like, coach, we did it. We practiced all week long. Like I'm still a little tired. Like it was a good week of practice, coach. Is coach going to be proud? <laughs> no. Why not? Because practice doesn't matter unless it gets executed. And the reason why I say the church reminds me of a reverse football team is because for us, this is our practice. This is the huddle. This is that moment where we get together and say, hey, y'all, we know what we're supposed to do. Yeah, everybody's on the same page. Break. And then we go out and we execute. Practice is, is awesome. It's a safe place where if a player, if you go to an NFL or a college practice and, and you see a player and he's supposed to run a certain route, somebody else may come up if they mess up. Like the quarterback may walk up to him and say, hey, man, listen, you zigged when you should have zagged. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, it's okay. It's okay. We learn from our mistakes. We fix the mistakes. And then we execute. And that's what the church needs to be. This needs to be a breeding place for love where we can come together and say, hey, listen, we're all broken. We're all messed up. We're all trying to figure it out, but let's figure it out together. I leave room for your mistakes. And even when you mess up, guess what? I'm gonna come alongside you and say, hey, listen, you zigged when you should have zagged, but it's all right. Let's get this right together for two reasons. One, because the moment those doors open up, we need to head out and we need to execute that love and we need to show that love to the entire world. But also, guess what? When we invite people back here, they need to see that we live out what we've been talking about for so long. They need to see that this is a family that has countered the culture. They need to come in here and say, man, there is something different in this community from what I've gotten everywhere else. That's what a counterculture life looks like. So for us here in the room, what can we do to start taking those steps? How can we start moving forward in that direction? I wanna give you a couple of ways. One, I think you need to start showing up. Let's be consistent in how we show up. You may be saying, hey, listen, if the church is the people, I don't really know a lot of people at my church. For some of us, the easy fix to that is, hey, you've been coming once or twice a month. Why don't you start coming three or four times a month? Because when you start to see people and interact with them, that's how you get to know them better and better. For some people who are watching online, listen, we are so thankful to be able to have this online platform. We love it. But for some of you, staying at home and watching the service is merely an act of convenience. For some of you, if you are gonna be connected in community, you may need to show up. You may need to see people in their eyes. You may need to connect with them, uh, be it in small groups or whatever. Listen, if, if you are in a legitimate case where you say, hey, I can't get to the service, I'm not shaming you for that. What I'm saying is that when the live stream ends, don't just hop on Instagram. 
Look at your family around you and say, hey, let's, let's celebrate this thing that we got to share in together. What I'm saying is, is that if there are friends uh, who you know that are also Christ followers, or if there are people in your neighborhood who also love Jesus, invite them into your home. Love them in proximity. And if you're one of those people who you're like, oh, I'm not even in North Carolina. Listen, we love that you've chosen to join us here at GetHope.tv, but... There are local communities or local churches right in your community full of people who you have the most important thing in the world in common with. You're sinners saved by grace who unite around the name of Jesus. So I just want to encourage you, find that community, find those people, love them well. Maybe you're here and you need to get involved in a small group. Maybe you need to find a way that you don't just come into the doors, sit down for a service, leave, and then do repeat week after week after week. But maybe it, maybe it means you stop in the lobby a little bit. When we hear that, dun, 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 that stresses all of us out and then we start running in. Maybe you get in a little bit earlier than that and say, hey, what's your name? Hey, did you know we have the most important thing? This is going to sound weird. I'm your sister. Just say that and then see what happens next. I'm really curious. That's the emails we want to get. We want to hear those stories. But man, we have such a beautiful thing. What we meet for is not just to hear somebody talk for 30 minutes or more, sorry. <laughs> but we get together to celebrate an actual expression of the gospel here in community. Let's not forget that. Let's do what Peter commands us to. Let's love the brotherhood. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for who you are. And we're thankful for the ways that you love us in spite of, God, in spite of. And so, Lord, I just ask that each and every one of us, that you would, um, that you would recalibrate our hearts right now. That you would uh, shift our focus away from ourselves, away from all of these false things that we've put our identity in. And God, I pray that you would calibrate our hearts to you, and to the people who sit on the left and the right of us, to our church family, to our community. Lord, I pray for those people. I understand there is a reality that there are people who say, hey, I've wanted to find community. I just can't find my people. God, I, I just pray that you supernaturally, you'll place them together. What we get to do week in and week out is a beautiful expression of the gospel. And so Lord, <laughs> I know there are plenty of times when we get it wrong. But I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would teach us how to live a type of love in this community that is counter the culture that we see outside of these walls. Lord, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And there you have the three characteristics of the Christian love. And that's what we want as a witness to a watching world, for it to become on earth today as it is in heaven with every language, tongue, nationality represented around the throne of God in heaven, it's going to require you and I loving people unconditionally, reaching out to people in love of other passport holders, other heritages, other skin colors than you and I have. And so this is our message that we're champion on the Live in the Dream show from Revelation 7, 9 through 12. And I invite you back next week as we continue to live the dream. God bless you all. Research shows 3 billion people still have limited to no access to know about Jesus. 
Did you know that if three billion people formed a human chain, it would circle the Earth at the equator 75 times? One of those billion people far from God calls India home. Global Hope India has been empowering Christian churches throughout India as they provide access for all people to know about Jesus. Learn more at globalhopeindia.org. That's globalhopeindia.org. Thank you for listening to the Living the Dream Show with Kevin White. Don't forget to visit spiritmedia.us for the Writers Club with Kevin White, a weekly small group via Zoom with writers for accountability and structure through coaching and collaboration. Visit spiritmedia.us today. Visit kevinwhite.us and join thousands of subscribers to Kevin's free daily one-minute motivation series called Generously Blessed. Kevin's books, Audacious Generosity and Get to the Point, are available in hardback, paperback, ebook, and audiobook at kevinwhite.us, worldwide on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and everywhere books are sold. Your five-star review on Amazon will be greatly appreciated. This has been Living the Dream with Kevin White. Find the complete archive of all episodes at kevinwhite.us or subscribe for free through your favorite podcast player and never miss an episode. This program is copyright Kevin White International Incorporated. All rights reserved. Each week we bring you a message of living the dream as people of every nation, tribe and tongue worship Jesus together on earth today as it already is in heaven. Remembering the gift of God's presence through Jesus Christ is accessible to everyone. Join us again next week for Living the Dream with Kevin White.